Mr. Kornfeld, was this a financial success from the point of view of the fellows who put it on? Sort of a financial disaster. A financial disaster. Why do you say that? We just opened the gates and let everybody in. It's a free festival. It's a free festival paid for by the people who put up the money, uh, the people that are going to have to pay it back. Paid for by the people who bought the tickets. Bought the tickets. The 200,000 people, of which probably I don't know how many of them even got here, are... You're in the red. Oh, the company? Oh, financially? It's hard to think on those terms when you're talking about something like this. Uh, financially, this is a disaster. But you, but you look so happy. I'm very look happy. what you got there, man. You couldn't buy that for anything. Sure. This is really beautiful, man. These people are communicating with each other. That, that rarely happens anywhere anymore. It has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with tangible things, you know? Hello, welcome to American Moments. This is Adam. Hey, and this is Matt. And you are fine. You're you're alive. I uh, I, I am. I've resurfaced. Yeah. having a, a child. You. I mean, you look better. I, mean, rested. I personally didn't have the child, but well, I don't want to walk through the logistics of that. <laughs> but uh, it, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it, it. it. Do you want to tell everyone uh, yeah. the details? Yep, we had a uh, a little girl. Her name is Madeline. She was born a month ago today. She's doing great. You know, yeah. she's got a two year old s- sister who. Uh, Keeps an eye on her. By keeps an eye on her, I mean tries to hug her and smother her, which is is awesome. It's it's a, a better deal than trying to uh, kill her, right? So she declared, has she said, I want to send her back yet? Not yet. Oh, okay. We're All waiting right. for All it. Though. Nice, yeah. All right, and are you calling her Maddie? We're calling her Maddie. Okay, nice. That's cool. That's yeah. awesome, man. Well, congratulations. Thanks so much. So speaking of really nice parenting, today's, <laughs> today's topic is Woodstock, which was a music festival that happened in 1969. Obviously, it's in the American lexicon. You know, everyone knows what Woodstock was, but researching this story, I knew almost nothing about what the backstory and 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 all that. Absolutely. And it, this is just a really interesting because it almost didn't happen several times. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of pivot points as far as what went into it not turning into an absolute massacre by New York State National Guardsmen. And right. it just turned out to be a really cool story. It really did. Yeah. Everything came together to create this festival of love mm. and peace. And mud. And, and, dr- and drugs. And mud. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to kind of talk about a little bit about what Woodstock is before we get into yeah, absolutely. You know, some, some more of those details. But I think everybody's probably heard of Woodstock. But like you said, it was a 1969 festival. It took place in upstate New York. It was actually southern upstate New York, so Manhattan. Uh, yeah, anything that's not Manhattan New York. is mine, yeah. But it was officially called the Woodstock Music and Art Fair. Was oh, the name for, okay. name of it. It really was the first of its kind. You know, it was originally created as a gathering of music and performance artists brought together to celebrate the 60s social movement. So 1969, think about 1969, mm-hmm. Age of Aquarius, New Age, Hippie, Love and peace, and so that was the original intent of this festival. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the other intent was to make some money. Anyway, we'll get into that. But uh, as you mentioned, it ended up being one of, if not the most memorable music events in history, in modern history. It was. It was. It took place in 1969. It was scheduled for the weekend of August 15th through the 17th. It actually ran into the next day, into Monday due to delays um, from rain, and it was on a dairy farm outside of the Catskill Mountains in New York City. Or not New York City, just New York. <laughs> yeah. Not New York City. The Catskill Mountains in New York City are my, is my favorite they're mountain range. They're yeah, awesome. Yeah. yeah, they're between 5th uh, and 4th. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the water flows uh, to the Hudson on one side and the East River on the other. <laughs> <that's> right. <laughs> the Continental Divide in Manhattan Island. Everything. Everything <laughs> happens in, yeah, in Manhattan, exactly. right? Anyway, sorry. No, that's all right. You know, as I mentioned, it was a it was a huge festival. It was on a six hundred acre dairy farm outside of the town of Bethel, New York. So it actually was about sixty miles from Woodstock. Um, but we'll get in a little bit later about why it was called the Woodstock Festival. Um, Thirty two acts, four hundred thousand people attended. Mm-hmm. So giant, nothing like that size 
had happened before, at least in in modern history. So I wanted to kind of jump into a little bit about how it was planned, who planned it. So there were really four people that were responsible for um, Woodstock. The first two are, were kind of the creative force. So they were music producers, Michael Lang and Ari Kornfeld. That's a good name, yeah, Ari Kornfeld. Ari Kornfeld. They were two music developers that really kind of appreciated Woodstock. So if you don't, if you don't know what um, anything about Woodstock, Woodstock was really known as a place that had a lot of musicians. A lot of musicians would visit Woodstock. Some lived there. Um, they actually had a mini festival there a few years before called the Woodstock Sound Out. Uh, it really it was focused more on folk singers, but it was a three day event. Two thousand people attended. It was always ve- very well received, and the, the town of Woodstock was known as kind of a, a hippie haven mm-hmm. um, for that kind of music. So it was a happy spot, and people, when they thought of Woodstock, that's what they thought of. Very famous people were playing for free at Pants Farm. Dylan was with them. Jimi Hendrix, Richie Havens, Tim Harden, John Baez, Van Morrison. The mothers of invention were here, the Magoos were here, Rascals were here, Richie Haven was here, the Soft Machine, tons of people up here. It was a happening, basically. Unadvertised, that was the big thing. Don't tell anybody about this thing. Every weekend, or, or if it wasn't every so that's how they came up with this name. Yeah, I mean, you had Janis Joplin who lived up there. Bob right. Dylan had a place, uh, and we'll get into this later, he but he ended up didn't he, he didn't he, go. He didn't play. He was yeah. on a boat. Anyway, so Michael Lang and Ari Kornfeld um, really started off by wanting to create a studio in the woods. So they wanted to create a, a studio where artists could record in Woodstock. They didn't have the money for it, though. So their attorney actually recommended that they reach out to couple financiers joel rosenman and john p roberts and it's funny when you look at these guys uh, joel and john roberts it it, it just these guys and i don't want to be rude but these guys were the preppy they you'd more likely find them on a tennis court than anywhere near a music festival yeah it was a motley crew yeah for for sure they proposed the studio in the woods to rosenbaum and roberts or sorry rosenman and roberts Mm -hmm. um they said no They'd rather do a festival. Let's start with a festival. Mm-hmm. So Lang and Kornfeld agreed to it. And so in January of 1969, Woodstock Ventures was formed to create and put on the Woodstock uh, Music and Art Fair. Yeah, and this was 1969, and this, which was obviously on the tail end of 1968. Hanging over any sort of gathering of this size was the... The, was at a national convention in Chicago mm-hmm. here before, where there was just riots, violence, the whole nine yards. Demonstrations at this early hour in downtown Chicago's Grant Park, we heard a moment ago that tear gas has been used as the demonstrators are attempting to form a line of parade and march toward or on the amphitheater. Into the crowd at the corner of Belleville and Michigan. There are, now and then there was another one, a bottle being thrown by the crowd. And the police clearing off the sidewalks in front of the hill. And the persistent chanting by the crowd, the whole world is watching. Well, I should think, David, what we've seen requires no comment. It's just unpleasant. The country was definitely in turmoil. And very much in turmoil. You know, this was a, a almost a polar reaction to the violence that was happening in the in the country. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the hippies got all of the attention, you know, the, because they stood out, right? But there there was kind of a silent majority of Americans who were very big into law and order. And so there's a whole feeling that any gathering of this size will end in violence. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of hanging over the, the Woodstock Festival as they're going into the planning. Right. And, you know, and it's funny, <laughs> I, we kind of talked about the polar opposites there mm-hmm. um, of this of society. Looking at why Woodstock was put on, there are these four guys, and there were two very distinct reasons to put it on, and they were on polar opposite sides. Yeah. The first was, if I can quote this, an Aquarian exposition, three days of peace and music is what Lang and Kornfeld were after. They wanted this experience. They wanted the wood, the Woodstock experience for a larger part of the of the world. Well, we should say out of the country. And they probably thought out of mainly New York. Whereas their developers, R&R, really wanted to make money. I mean, this was a for-profit concert. 
they were selling tickets for they were planning on selling tickets for eighteen dollars ahead before the concert, which is the equivalent of one hundred and twenty dollars today, and twenty four dollars. Um, at the gate, which is one hundred and sixty dollars, right? So they wanted to make money. Yeah, you know, they whether or not Rosenman and Roberts really appreciated the music, they were in it to make money. Well, they Roberts was the was an heir to the Paladin fortune, right? Yeah, he basically just had a, a bunch of money, and and they took out an ad basically saying, "We're we're two rich kids looking for ideas." Right. Yeah. Well, and and I mean, you may wonder why they. They invested in this this risky venture, mm-hmm. right? Lang actually had produced a festival mm-hmm. similar to it the year before. I think it was the year before, a year mm-hmm. or two before, in Miami called the Miami Pop Festival. Okay. 25,000 people mm-hmm. attended. It was a three-day festival. So he had experience in this, and he'd seen a profit made from mm-hmm. it. So they jumped on board. You know, immediately there were challenges, though. They The first and the overwhelming, the overarching problem was they had very different approaches to everything. Lang who kind of took the lead on creative side was very laid back. Just kind of let things happen as they they were going to happen and Roseman and Roberts wanted things set and ready to go because it was their money. Well, and they borrowed money, right? So well, it, it wasn't true. just their money. So that's they they true. they were in hawk to a banker. The fun loving side of the foursome was, you know, they didn't have to deal with with the repercussion. Well, you know, location wise, they originally wanted to have it in Wallkill, New York. Mm-hmm which is outside of Woodstock again, they initially couldn't find a venue. Lang kept trying to find a spot and couldn't book it, couldn't seal the deal, basically. Mm-hmm. So uh, Roberts and Rosenman, Rosenman stepped in and secured a location in Wallkill. I think it was um, I think it was a park there. Mm-hmm. It, was, it wasn't as big. Right. I think it was like 100 acres or something. Mm-hmm. But they had secured it in Wallkill, so they were good to go. Well, you know, almost immediately the town is like, nope, we're not going to do this. Well, it's funny because Screw we this. got a permit that said basically we're going to do arts and crafts yes. and, and have some music. And there'll be less than 5,000 people. there'll be less than 5,000 people there. Yeah. And then some of the kids, so you get the silent majority parents who are, mm-hmm. who, who are like, okay, I guess this is okay. And then the kids are like, woohoo, we're going to have a, a, a rager. And, yeah. and the, city, the city council was like, nope. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so it got quickly rejected. However, there was a realtor in the town of Walkill that uh, they knew, and he actually introduced them to someone who they thought could help. Um, his name was Sam Yasker, and he was um, the son of a dairy farmer that had a farm that was just outside of a town, Bethel, about 30 miles away. So they introduced him to Sam. Sam bought into it. I mean, he bought into that that lifestyle, that that counterculture and uh, convinced his father max who kind of ended up buying into it also to give them a permit and ha- let them have the festival on their their farm and actually the farm not without getting into too much detail the farm had a natural valley to it so you could put the the, um, what, the hand gestures you're using to describe a valley a right now are disturbing to it's me a <laughs> Well, you can, you, the rest of you can use your imagination. Okay, fair enough. All right. <laughs> it uh, it just lent itself well to good good acoustics. So <clears throat> with that, they had a location. He, he was like, "Yeah, we want." I, I feel like an injustice has been done to you. Did you watch the documentary? And it, it, he was kind of he was in it for capitalistic reasons. He kind of had him by the by the testicles a little bit because the, their original contract was for seventy five hundred bucks. He said, "You know, this is terrible that they pulled your venue." We're going to add a zero to that, and you can come use my farm. Right. So seventy-five thousand dollars. Great point. Yeah. And 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 you think about it, he had the least risk in this mm-hmm. financially, at right. least. You know, he had a big dairy farm that I guess the most that could happen was trash on the on the land that could be cleaned up. Yeah. You know, and he gets all that cash, seventy-five thousand mm-hmm. dollars cash. You know, another challenge they had was really money. I know you mentioned it. They ended up having to pay a lot more for. For the venue, you know, they did. It turned into a waterfall effect. They didn't have an idea of where they were going to be, so everything they they did to support the concert and bot was at the last minute. Um, you know, and a great example of that is, like I said, this was a for-profit concert, but they had a lack of funds at the end, and they could they decided that they could either finish building the stage or finish putting up fences and ticket booths to make sure that people couldn't sneak into the venue. 
So they chose the stage, obviously. Well, the cows come into, into effect there because they didn't want to put up the fences because the, the cows wouldn't give milk, right, if they, if they couldn't sure. roam. They also had a hard time getting performers to sign on. Um, you know, again, this is kind of something new uh, to have all these big name stars in one spot. So a lot of the bands and probably more their managers are like, we're not going to do that. We're not the stars here of this, mm-hmm. of this concert. And so it took them a while. They got Credence, Credence Clearwater Revival. You know, they finally got them to sign on. And after that, more big artists started to sign on. Another thing mentioned is logistics. This was a big space. And while they weren't expecting 400,000 people, they were expecting a lot. You know, Like 200,000. They were hoping for that. They had pre-sold, I saw, they pre-sold 186,000 tickets. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that's a pretty good s- yeah. start. Right? Pretty amazing. And then their plan was to have the tickets sold at the side, which obviously includes fences. Now, um, they had to build, you know, the sound system. They had to build custom speaker columns and loudspeakers to cover the large venue and project to, you know, everybody who was way, you know, acres back from the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually that became a standard for many outdoor venues after that but it wasn't a standard before so, so they had the to Miami develop one, it the biggest one before um i don't know the actual yeah. sizes but i would assume yeah. that was it i mean okay. festivals then were usually two to three thousand people right and you usually had one big act and the rest were smaller acts. Mm-hmm. and a lot of times you'd have people performing twice like every mm-hmm. day Miami was at a larger scale you know it right. was five times the size mm-hmm. more than that 20 t- 10 times the size okay um, and it was a success, but this was going to be, they were assuming it was going to be eight times the size. And so, you know, with that in mind, they still were able to move forward and the show was going to go on. So you, you kind of talk about the bands a little bit and the tipping point was Creedence Clearwater revival. Right. Um, and before we get into this, if you don't have the time, I, I mean, if you haven't seen the, the lineup of the bands that were there. This was just a spectacular it festival. It was. It was amazing. And part of it, there was some, I guess, desire to be part of the counterculture, the hippie movement. You know, but a lot of a lot of it came down to hard cash. So mm-hmm. back then, to get to book a premier band, it was about five thousand bucks. Because John Roberts, because he had his Paladin fortune backing him, he was able to pay some of these guys twelve grand. We had Creedence had yeah. got ten thousand. Yeah. yeah. So Creedence signs, and then it just uh, it tips. They, they did have some people turn them down. Mm-hmm. You know, Simon and Garfunkel turned them down because they... They were yeah, recording. Yeah, they were recording, yeah. Said. Led Zeppelin turned them down because they wanted it to be their Sweet 16 party. Yep. If, if they weren't going to be a headliner, quote-unquote, they, they wanted nothing to do I mean, with that. Was, yeah, part of the difference of Woodstock and why they had trouble at first. It, the doors were booked... And then they decided, I mean, Jim Morrison might have been off tripping and uh, on peyote or something <laughs> right. in Joshua Tree anyway, but, but, but they just thought it was going to be another festival, and right. it was one of the biggest regrets they ever had as a band. There were some folks who made it, who booked, but weren't able to make it for logistical reasons. Iron Butterfly booked, and then they got stuck at the, at the LaGuardia Airport, mm-hmm. and they were basically begging to be brought in by a helicopter, and... Yeah, because you know, getting up the up the throughway at that point, the logistics there. You got to keep huh. in mind there's this is a, there's a two lane road. Yeah, go, I mean going this in is there. country. Yeah, country. exactly. Yeah, I know you mentioned earlier Dylan. You know, was had spent a lot of time in the mm-hmm. Woodstock area, but he had already committed to the Isle of Man festival. Yeah. yeah, so he was actually on a boat headed to England. Yeah, yeah, it's it's true. So you have Santana, Sly and the Family Stone. I, mm-hmm. All these bands that the are who, just iconic now. Some the of band. them, yeah, the band. I mean, some of them were Candace famous Joplin. at this point, but then became more famous after. So things start. The festival is is, is opening. They're doing their last minute preparations, and as you mentioned, they kind of had to. Actually, Asger made them wait until the last minute to put the fences up, and mm-hmm. they're like, "Okay, great, we'll do this the, the day before it opens." Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? So they're expecting <laughs> two hundred thousand people. And two days before, they wake up, and 50,000 people are there two days before. Are already there. Are already there the day, the two days before. Yep. And it was, uh, they had told Bethel to expect 50,000 at the, so they kind of hoodwinked Bethel a little bit and said, oh, we'll just have 50,000, but they knew they were probably going to get closer to 200,000. Right. So again, the, the, you know, it had to get into the mechanics of how cows work. Um, they, they decided to put the, the fence up at the end, so that the cows would be able to give milk and you know not be completely screwed up until you know the last possible minute, 
So the fencing was left to the last minute, and then they realized 50,000 people are there, and if they were going to collect any money, they had to move all these people off the, the premises. And making things even worse, we have the hangover of 1968, you know, what happened in Chicago. They had, the festival organizers had paid New York City police to be the security for the, the festival. And the night before, the police commissioner decides, I don't want to be, I don't want to have another Chicago on my hands. People right. are coming early. 50,000 people are there already. I want nothing to do with this. Because, again, uh, the Republican National Convention the year before is hanging on over this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was terrible. Yeah. That was scary. Yeah. So uh, there's a guy named Wes Pomeroy who's in charge of security, and he basically begged <laughs> police sergeants, police officials, and basically they found 300 police that agreed to work off the books. They right. got fake names and, you know, basically just came in as security. So there's the – but at the – Overarching all of this, you've got the festival basically there. Yeah, they've sold 186,000 tickets, mm -hmm. but they are now realizing that they're not going to be able to, to collect money at the door now. Right. And, and basically they go... I mean, they will, yeah. but people don't necessarily have to go and buy a ticket. Ex exactly. And so you have John Roberts and, and Roseman yeah. are about a mile away, kind of at their headquarters. Mm -hmm. And and Lang and Corbenfeld, they're like, this is a party. We've done this. I'm going to enjoy this as much as possible. And so they're in there yeah. just and just enjoying this. And they kind of have a caucus where they're I like... I hadn't heard that. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. The whole time there's this pressure oh. where Roberts is on the phone. He, he This poor guy, he's dealing with Nelson Rockefeller, governor. The governor of New York. Yeah, yeah, the governor of New York basically saying, I'm going to send in National Guard <laughs> troops, things like that. And it, it just turns into a disaster. People are driving into this two-lane uh, this two-lane road to get into the festival, and they can't make it, so they just leave their cars and walk. Parked on the road. Yeah, yeah, they, they the parked road. on the road. And it's becoming very clear to Roberts and Roseman that this is not going to be a good thing from a financial perspective. So yep. they're, they're basically saying, put up the gates, put up the gates. We need to collect money now. And uh, the guy who is uh, in charge of the Wavy Gravy group goes, do you want a good show or do you want a bad show? Because at this point, you know, it's flown the coop. You're not going to be able to clear the field yeah. in a peaceful way and put up gates. But but they still Absolutely. they still tried to put up gates, but, it I mean, there was holes. I mean, it, that, that, that had flown the coop. So they kind of say, look, we... we and it was a choice, good show mm -hmm. or bad show. Yeah, I mean... They made the choice. So they, they get there, and at this point, it's... It's opening day, right? And they were supposed to start at noon. Mm -hmm. And they decide that, you know, we're going to make this a free concert. We all have to make some kind of plans for ourselves. It's a free concert from now on. That doesn't mean that anything goes. What that means is we're going to put the music up here for free. What it means is that the people who are put backing this thing, who put up the money for it, are going to take a bit of a bath. A big bath. That's no hype, that's true. They're going to get hurt. But what it means is that these people have it in their heads that your welfare is a hell of a lot more important, and the music is, than a dollar. Yeah. Roberts and Roseman have to call. Even though they've captured 186,000. Yeah, and that's kind of where I, I, I feel like it's more of a, we took a bad well, story than made, we should have. Yeah, yeah, it makes me think they thought that there was going to be three hundred to 400,000 yeah. people. Uh, yeah, exactly. To make a profit. Maybe. It, well, and then also in the background, they, they were, were doing a Woodstock documentary at the mm -hmm. same time. Which which won an Academy Award, it by did. the way. But they, but they didn't think that that was going to be a real revenue source. No. So they, and it was. It was. Eventually. That they, you know, I was reading it took them. I know we're jumping, jumping mm -hmm. the gun, but I know I had read that it took them actually 10 years to make a profit on Woodstock, mm -hmm. but they did handily make a profit mm -hmm. after those 10 years. Yeah. You know, on all the media and the the, the documentary yeah. and owning the rights to all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Anyways. But uh, so the way I heard it described was they, they had to have their freak out moment where John Roberts called. They're, they're a million dollars in debt at this point, mm -hmm. and they're realizing they're not going to make in, anything. In 1969, yeah. In, in, yeah, that's not good. So they had to call the bank and tell them there was no money. And John Roberts ends up calling his dad and saying, look, I need a backstop here. I'm paying people money, and I need to know that the checks are going to clear. 
and the, his parents basically said, we'll backstop you. Uh, so they were able to, to make things work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, like I said, John and Joel are freaking out. They, they're worried. Yeah, they were hoping for 200,000 people. Yeah. But they are realizing that they have all these people showing up, and they're like, our, our, this is going to turn into a riot, and I'm going to be convicted of manslaughter. Right, half a million people. The, those, got, those two are just freaking out. I don't think they enjoyed themselves once. I don't think they enjoyed themselves from the time they said they were going to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't think so either. That's a good Until point. Until about yeah. 10 years after when they finally <laughs> yeah. made it a problem. Yeah. And, and honestly, I think if they had tried to collect money, it would have been a disaster. Like yeah. a, an absolute disaster. It would have been. It yeah. would. It would not have been become yeah. what it has become now. Yeah. So, and then this is around the same time where uh, where Nelson Rockefeller, who's the governor of New York, sees what's happening in the New York Thruway, which is you know how you get up there. Yeah. And he's thinking in the the silent majority, you know, very straight laced Kent State way of thinking of, well, hey, <laughs> I'm gonna send in ten thousand troops. Yep. And John Roberts begged him. He just said, look, the only thing that can make this a disaster is if you send in 10,000 National Guardsmen. And Rockefeller says, all right, well, if anything happens, it's on you. Well, and and almost immediately, too, it's worth noting that a lot of these decisions to not do that and saying, you know, this is on you, are based on um, almost immediately there there was not any rioting. I think the fact that they decided not to collect money and, and John Roberts basically said that this it kind of turned into we're all mm-hmm. together now instead of this being we're all just a big community. Yep. This At this point, because of the size of people who were there, it was the third or fourth largest city in the state of New York at that point. Amazing. I mean, and there's big cities in New York. <laughs> you got Manhattan, you've got Rochester, Buffalo, Albany. Yeah. So it was bigger than one of those other big cities, right? So at, at this point, to John and Joel's credit, they – shifted their focus from just money to putting on a safe concert and making sure everyone was safe. And you you have to think that they didn't believe that making it a safe concert would bring them revenue mm-hmm. in the future, which it in, a, in an indirect way did. Yeah. You know, that peace and love really did epitomize that, the counterculture of the, and I shouldn't say counterculture, but the, you it know, was the a little, late I think that's 60s. Fair. I think that's fair. Because, I mean, I do think, you know, what a lot of people say about it, again, like I said before, is they stood out. So it made it seem like it was a lot more prevalent mm-hmm. than it was. But I think... Um, I guess that's true. Yeah. Like, you think about that now, and it doesn't seem that foreign, right? Like, everybody knows about hippie 60s and well and and they made some really good decisions about how to handle this there's uh you know as i mentioned there was the wavy gravy hog farm which is basically <laughs> uh, they they basically the name's fantastic it, it was but it was quote unquote security it was like a liaison his name is wavy gravy but his real name is hugh romney mm-hmm. and uh he was really uncomfortable because he felt like they were presenting them as the police and ah. and, and <laughs> And someone said, uh, "Are you security?" And he said, "Well, do you feel secure?" <laughs> and just it just moved on. That was kind of their approach the whole weekend. And I watched something about him, how he handled acid trips for all these people. <laughs> and it was just fantastic. I can't imagine just New Yorker, New York police chiefs who had never dealt with this type of culture before, trying to deal with you know a tripping hippie. Yeah. 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 Uh, my name is Hugh Romney. I'm with a hog farm, and I'm working uh, on, on a scene. Some people call it bum trips. I don't think there's such a thing as a bum trip. We're working with hobo voyages. A half an hour after we release anybody from our section, we turn them into doctors and they care for people that were tripping like they were when they came in. Now, people have been saying that some of the acid is poison. It's not poison. It's just bad acid. It's manufactured poorly. So anybody that thinks they've taken some poison, forget it. And if you feel like experimenting, only take half a tab, okay? They had boots on the ground, and, uh, you know, they, they tried to, they tried to you know, bring in enough food to feed them all. Yeah. Famously, the, mo- the, the morning after the first night, he, he gets on and says, what we have in mind is breakfast in bed for 400,000. Now, it's not going to be steak and eggs or anything. 
but it's going to be good food and we're going to get it to you. It's not just the hog farm either. It's like the Ojai Mountain family and the pranksters and everybody else that has volunteered and put in their time into the free kitchens. In fact, it's everybody. We're all feeding each other. He basically gave hippies granola, you know, and, and, and they were happy. But but it, all joking aside, the way they handled it, they they're really good with the sensitivity to what it was going to be like. So there's no fences. We got a lot more people there. The bands themselves are now having logistical issues as, as yeah. far as getting there. So they're hiring helicopters, helicopters. To, to get people there. Yeah. I mean, because you, again, you got a two lane road. Again, people are leaving cost, the cars. Right? Yeah, more cost. Unexpected cost. At, at this point, how much do you think it costs to get a, a helicopter cab at the last moment? I, I, I'm assuming you don't get a discount. Right. Yeah. They're probably not hanging around in upstate New York. Either. Yeah. No. Absolutely. At least at that time. And I, I, I get the feeling that Art and Michael just kind of mailed it in and, and just were happy to be part of a humongous party. One, one of Michael, I think, tried psychedelics for the first time and said <laughs> it was the worst decision he's ever made. Um, oh, that was the first yeah. time he tried it? But the thing is, is Art and Michael knew that it was yeah. going okay and that it was peaceful, and John and Joel had no idea. They were a mile away again, and they, they, weren't, on the, they weren't on the ground, so they didn't know that this was such a peaceful gathering, yep. and they were worried that it was not going to be that way. Yeah, and there's no cell phones at the time, so no. it's not like they could call no. Art. So Friday is is the first day. They were supposed to start at noon, but because of all these logistical headaches, they're all over the place with, with their acts. And Richie Havens, which who is, wasn't very well known at, at the time and isn't one of the most well known ones, mm-hmm. they basically say, "Look, we have we need someone to go on there because they were terrified of not having entertainment at all times for yeah. for everybody." So at five o'clock. He goes on, and they basically say, you're here, get out there, just start playing. He played a pretty long set, which was two hours. And most of these bands, I mean, there, there were some real headliners that played one, one hour. you know. But for the yeah. most part, a lot of them just played 30 minutes. Yeah. And so he basically ran out of songs, and he tried to get off the stage like, no, 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 we're not, we're not ready, we're not ready, and go back out there. And he sent him out, I think, five, back out five times. And so at the end, one of the most famous performances, he just kind of makes up a song. He makes up a song and just starts singing, you know, freedom. Freedom, 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 freedom. Sometimes I feel like I'm a gallant child. It's one of the things everyone talks about the most. It's iconic. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and it again, it epitomized it did. that culture they were looking to. Yeah, the, another notable. Um, and this is hysterical. Uh, Arlo Guthrie. Did, 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 mm. did, you, did you see his performance for that? <laughs> I didn't see it. <laughs> oh no. Boy, well, we weren't born yet. But, uh, but no, I didn't. Yeah, right. yeah. No, I didn't see it. So I heard Ar- of it. So Arlo Guthrie is in the back. I mean, just and he's really, really, really high. And, and and they're like, hey, we need you to go on tonight. And he's like, I'm not here right now. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I, I can't play till tomorrow. And he gets he gets up on. And they finally you know give him some water and and tell him to go out there. And he and he gets out there and just looks, and he's like, Can you take that New York State Thruways closed, man? <laughs> It just starts talking like, what's the guy from Dazed and Confused? Uh, oh, uh, uh, McCoskey or something? Uh, I don't know, but the guy M- was Matthew really stoned all the time. Right? No, the guy who was really stoned all oh, the time. Yeah, yeah, so he's talking like him. But anyway, so he plays, and then um, the other other performers would play for half an hour, and then Joan Baez closed out the first night and ended at 2 a.m., and she was actually six months pregnant at the time. And oh. yeah. So <laughs> probably wasn't any contact high going on there. Yeah. So so the first day it ends at two a.m. and um, you know they get up in the morning and, and uh, you know Wavy Gravy has his uh, you know he he wakes everybody up with a you know big announcement about you know breakfast in bed for four hundred thousand and 
at this point, a lot of people don't know if there's any dead people or anything like that. All they know is that things seem to be going pretty good mm-hmm. on the production side. Think about that 400,000 400,000 people. I mean, it's, just, it, it's amazing. You, you can't imagine it. You I can't can. imagine it. Why? Well, I, I can because I went. I went to Woodstock '94, which was very similar. Yeah, that was even more. It was. It was. Oh, but you did go. I, to I went to that. We'll get into that yeah. later. Not to sound like a hippie myself, but for that amount of everyone, just kind of looks out for yeah. each other. I mean, you that know? one yeah. was yeah. more commercial. Yeah, oh, very was, much so. But it was still yeah. a success. Yeah, and, and I was a junior in high school. What did I know? Yeah. Right. So, it, so it's ended at two. It ended at two a.m. the night before. Day two kicks off, and I would have killed to be at this day. Um, mm. a, a lot of like the the big bands yeah. that started with Quill, who I don't really know anything yeah, about. I didn't know yeah, them either. Yeah, I looked at, that. At, at noon, and then basically it went from noon on Saturday to nine forty a.m. on Sunday. And one thing, one thing they, I mean, it sounds I don't they would never have a concert like this now. But they were really worried about people leaving in the middle of the night and just driving home. So that was kind of... Could they, though? Like, weren't all the right? <laughs> I mean, who knows? I mean, these guys were just, yeah. you know, putting, sticking their fingers up in the air. You know what was interesting about that date? Um, you know, that's when Santana really came to the national focus. Yeah, yeah. Watch uh, Soul Sacrifice and just amazing. Who, who played their entire rendition of Tommy the whole way through. Sly and the Family Stone, you know. Yep, and Grateful I, Dead. The Grateful Dead. Well, the Grateful Dead actually overloaded the amps. Yeah. Uh, so they got, cut, they got short, cut short. Yeah, playing uh, Turn On Your Love Light. And then they finished with, uh, with Jefferson Airplane at 9.40 in the morning on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in, I mean just to mention, too, I think I said Credence played that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Janis Joplin played that day. I know you mentioned Sly and the Family Stone. Blood's thicker than the mud. It's a family affair. Country Joe McDonald. Yep. That was a huge day. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it was it was a, a humongous day. And then Saturday, and my air quotes are up, ends at 9.40 a.m. on Sunday. They basically take a four-hour break. So imagine just being, mm-hmm. I mean, as a concert goer here, I mean, you're, you've been up for two days, basically. You yeah. know, because there's no sleep. You've been strung out for two days. Yes, I was just gonna try to be nicer, but it's sixty. So there's a two-hour break, and then at two p.m., Joe Cocker kicked off. Yeah. On uh, on Sunday, and he played for an hour and a half, and then a thunderstorm opened up, which really, again, you know, things are going well. They're, you know, producers yeah. are like, "We're gonna make it. This is gonna be awesome," and then they realize, "Wow, we have four hundred thousand people and a lot of big metal." structures and possibility of electrocuting people it's worth noting that with a little help from my friends Mm -hmm. joe cocker played that and that Mm -hmm. was another iconic song from that yeah from from woodstock and again it 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 played into the counterculture it did that they were they were trying to um it played into the counterculture that they were trying to promote yeah at woodstock and again, you have this, you have the, the reports from the ground, <laughs> the two of the four that were on the ground there that were, oh, this is awesome, because everyone, because Wave of Gravy yelled at everyone when the, th- when the thunderstorm came in, hold on to your neighbor, and, you know, the, everyone was just kind of, again, in it, in it together, and then, of course, John and Joel are like, oh, my God, we're going to electrocute everyone, and we're all <laughs> yeah. going to jail. And again, the, the reason, one of the reasons why they kind of structured the festival the, the way that they did, especially on the last day, was they didn't want the concert to end at midnight and then everyone take off and go home. Mm-hmm. So, um, like I mentioned, Joe, Joe Cocker kicks off, then they have a thunderstorm, and they, they're really delayed till 6 p.m. Then it just goes and goes and goes. And then you have the band, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, who played you know two sets. Yeah. They did an acoustic set and just a traditional right. set. And that, that was at 3 a.m. Yeah. And Neil Young, actually, I, I learned this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you... I don't know if it was in the documentary, but Neil Young actually sat out the second elect- the the second acoustic set, which is funny because you think of him as kind of playing acoustic guitar now, 
in his old age, right? You gotta wonder if he really felt like he missed the boat on that one. <laughs> Maybe he was inebriated. Yeah, or I don't something know. else. Uh, who knows? Yeah. But I mean, it just again, just great music the whole night, and then Jimi Hendrix is, closes out the festival, and he played from 9 a.m. to 11:10 in the morning. And there's some people who say that he started off with the Star Spangled Banner, but that wasn't true. That was actually more than midway through his set. Yeah. But he, the it's the the iconic performance of it is of, of Woodstock, where he played the Star Spangled Banner and yeah. goes right into Purple Haze. I mean, even if you don't know mm-hmm. that, you don't know who it is, when you think about um, movies or TV shows that try to show the 60s to let mm-hmm. you know you're in the 60s, there's always that shot of him in, in his his red headband, mm-hmm. you know, his white leather coat with blue sequins on it, playing guitar at Woodstock. Yeah. Like, that is, it is. That represents the late 60s. It is, it is late 60s. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he, he closed it out, and, uh, and after... An encore performance of Hey Joe, it was over at eleven ten, and some at this point it wasn't like it just ended and everyone jailbreaked all at once. Some people just wanted to hear Jimi Hendrix start, and then they started filing out around nine because it's Monday morning at this point, right? Mm-hmm. People, some people have been there since Wednesday, yeah, and people are, are are filing out, right? So at this point, it's been a success. It has. I mean, you know, half a million people. With little to no violence. I mean, it really, truly was the festival of peace and love. Well, so after, so once it clears out, I mean, it it looks like you know Benghazi after a raid, right? <laughs> it, once they, so John, Joel and John finally are like, okay, great, we got to figure out how many people are dead. Yeah, I mean, they they, were, they thought there were dead people. They thought you know, there was missing people. They thought there was going to be all kinds of you know mayhem. And so they walked the field for two hours. Lots of violence. Yeah. yeah. And there were two deaths, and one was from a heroin overdose. I think it was an insulin overdose. It was? Yeah. Okay. It wasn't heroin. I like that better. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so anyway, like I said, one was from an insulin overdose. Yeah. And uh, another was from a tractor that <laughs> inadvertently ran a guy over. Which is funny. Yeah. I mean, not for the guy who died. but Yeah, that's not if you're that death guy. Death by tractor. Yeah, death by tractor. There's a rumor that a baby was born there. However, no one has ever come forward saying, I'm the Woodstock baby. Mm-hmm. So until that's really verified, you can't yeah. really, you know, say I'm that. I'm sure some babies were conceived there. I'm sure there were a yes. fair amount. Yeah. So so anyway, that's kind of the, the the logistics of the festival itself. Do so you want to talk about the aftermath? Yeah. Well, you know, I mentioned it really became iconic. I mean, as I mentioned, it's it's probably the most well known musical event in in American history, mm-hmm. if not the world. Um, there was a quote from the book Remembering Woodstock that kind of hit it. There it reads, There is a sense of social harmony with with the quality of music and the overwhelming mass of people. Many sporting bohemian dress, behavior, and attitudes helped to make it one of the enduring events of the century. Mm-hmm. And that's very true. You know, um, a lot of the bands became famous from it. People talk of Woodstock all the time. You know, one thing we talked about a little bit already is, while it was a success, um, it wasn't a a financial success. The promoters were almost bankrupt by the end. As you mentioned, they had to get outside backing. Um, the concert ended up being free, so they didn't get get that money. They ended up paying a lot more for things than they had originally budgeted. That being said, with the film and recording rights um, that they got from that, um, they had made back their money, and then some within 10 years. And it still makes money for them. Yeah. As I talked about, that they also filmed... They didn't film, but they hired a crew to film Woodstock, the documentary, which came out the next year in 1970, and it won an Academy Award 
for Best Documentary. Yeah, and you know, like I said, a lot of the bands became famous for their performances at Woodstock. Even some other bands and performers regretted not going. One thing I'll talk about here in a minute is some of the, they tried to duplicate it, you know, years later, and some of those bands who had um, declined to go ended up going to the mm-hmm. the next ones. And some of them played two times. Right? So so yeah. in 94 when I went, I saw Santana, I saw the band. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, I mean, there was... Joe Cocker played, Jefferson Airplane played, Mm -hmm. but by that point, Jefferson Airplane was almost Jefferson Starship, which is terrible 80s rock, so it was definitely (laughs) different. It was was terrible. Yeah, yeah. if you haven't listened to any Jefferson Starship, Mm -hmm. I recommend skipping right over that and going to Starship, (laughs) which is even worse. Yeah. (laughs) We built this city on rock and roll. Oh, jeez. So it it ended up being iconic, and uh, as part of that, Woodstock Ventures... Those four capitalized on it and um, promoted other festivals. They're obviously known most for Woodstock, but there were a couple more Woodstock events that they had organized later on. No, no, just to talk a little bit about those. But th- but they had a falling out, didn't they? Like the four of them really. I mean, they had there was yeah. bad blood. I mean, it's like the Beatles, yeah. right? Yeah, they're all exactly mm-hmm. exactly. They had different, very different approaches to everything. Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, they ended up making money, but it was 10 years later. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, John and Joel thought it was a disaster. And they were angry because they they were convinced. You know, They said they were convinced to do this festival where it was actually their idea to really yeah. do the festival. Yeah. And not just open a recording studio in Woodstock. Yeah. But I digress. They, It was a disaster. They didn't make money probably took 10 years off of their lives mm-hmm. um, from this festival and so there was de- a definite fallout yeah yeah but 20 years later it's the most iconic yeah. music event there is so let's get over it and um <laughs> and move and on make some more money exactly so you know there was a something called woodstock 89 that was really a kind of a spontaneous gathering at the look the old location um so the the dairy farm it was different, you know, it was really organic and really anyone who wanted to play could play. Um, it was kind of more folk-based even, too. Mm-hmm. So it really didn't have the same feel, but it was on the same location, so they right. called it Woodstock 89. Then there was Woodstock 94, yeah. which you just talked about. Yeah. That was the 25th anniversary of Woodstock. It and it's funny because you, you mentioned that it was more commercialized. You, you got the feeling, and this was... I think, if not my first, my second concert that I had ever been to. Really? And, uh, yeah, my parents let me take my freshman and high school brother along with me, too. Oh, my God. And, uh, but they, they had kind of a Woodstock village set up. Yeah. They, they wanted you to change your money in to Scrip, to Woodstock Scrip. Oh, that's um, funny. And no beer, of course. Yeah. I, I, I think we're, that, that's a misalignment of, of expectations. The, the gates came down. They yeah. did. It was yeah. rainier and yeah, muddier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I know you can add more to it since you were there, but it was a larger crowd. Um, they had more trouble with security, and they weren't letting. They would not let people bring in food and water, and instead you had to pay eight dollars for water. Yeah, it was like going to a Broncos mm-hmm. game. Yeah. Uh, many of the original bands did return, though. Like I said, the bands Santana, Joe Cocker. Jefferson Airplane, and there were a lot of newer acts which were huge. Like, I read this list, and I'm sure you saw a lot of them, but Nine Inch Nails, mm-hmm. Red Hot Chili Peppers, Green Day, Peter Gabriel, Blind Melon, remember that one? And there was two uh, There's two stages to this one as well. It wasn't yeah. just one big stage. Aerosmith, Metallica, yeah. Johnny Cash, yeah. Alice in Chains. There's a little more violence. It was not quite as much the peace and love that uh, didn't represent the peace and love as much as... It did 25 years mm-hmm. earlier. It was also a different time. You mean you mean from a musical standpoint? Yeah. Not, not yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, and the crowd overall yeah. was a, there was there was there was a little more violent. When you have that many people, you have to expect that. I mean, yeah. that was a rarity. There's but it was overall a, a success. Yeah. Yes, overall a success. So with that, they're like, well, let's do it again. <laughs> what could Five go wrong? Five years later. <laughs> yeah. What could go wrong? So in comes Woodstock '99. That had about 400,000 people. This one was even more covered by the media. MTV was there covering it live. You could do pay-per-view to watch the events. I believe there was like three or four stages in 99 um, where they had big acts on main stages and then a, a, a developing act on other stages. However, it's it is it's worth noting that no bands from the original Woodstock played there. Well, and then you had Rage Against the Machine who uh, yeah. burned the flag instead of playing the Star right. Spangled Banner like Jimi Hendrix did. Right. You know? It was over 100 yeah. degrees there. Yeah. 
There was no food and drink allowed again in high prices, so that made people angry. There was definitely more violence. There was fire, sexual violence. Yeah, I think it was during Limp Biscuits performance that the violence started to happen. It wasn't a fun Woodstock-type love fest. It really turned violent. It turned ugly. It was really a dark moment in music, and instead of stopping the show, Fred Durst stoked the flames. Three days of music, peace, and love ended with arson and rioting early today at Woodstock 99. Whatever the reasons, concertgoers began destroying property, starting fires and rioting. Scattered bonfires raged out of control for several hours. Vending stalls were looted and light towers toppled. People were getting, um, you know, mosh pit. There was, there was a mosh pit. And people were getting angry and people were getting hurt. And Fred Durst didn't necessarily help the situation where he said, um, don't hurt each other, but let's not change the energy. Jackass. Yeah. yeah. I'm on record saying that Fred Durst is a jackass. But, I mean, the, some of it is, is by virtue. I mean, so the 60s, the 69 was peaceful because of the kind of the, the culture. It was. You have Megadeth. You have Rage Against the Machine. Right. I agree. But I would say that 94, like the mood, the mood of music in 1994 was much more violent and dark than 1999. And 94 was much more peaceful than 99. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I just think it's a combination of things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they ended up having to bring police in with riot gear. MTV's there recording police coming in with riot gear. And at that point, MTV pulled the plug and pulled everybody out. Yeah. Because they thought it was dangerous. Yeah. Which, again, adds to the media of this this horrible festival. I, do you think we'll ever have one again? Yes. You I do? Think we will. Actually, um, they... Uh, Lang is, had made an announcement last summer about trying to pull, pull together a Woodstock 2019. Wow. Yeah. Want to so, go? So, yes, I think there will be. Yeah, that might be kind of fun. Depends yeah. who's playing. But, yeah, so that was, uh, that was, that was Woodstock 69. A very yeah. interesting story. You know, we picked this one because it is, it's an interesting topic mm -hmm. and we love music, mm -hmm. but um, it really is an American moment because... You think of Woodstock, and that is the moment that defines the counterculture of the late 60s yeah, yeah. and early 70s. Well, this one was actually a recommendation. Uh, Jennifer Soffer uh, recommended that we do this one. It was so, a good one. Yeah, it was a good one. So if yeah. you, if anyone else has any good ideas as well, send them along. The, this was probably my favorite one to, re to research. It was easy to yeah. do. Well, again, thanks for listening. Thanks if, so much, guys. If you want to help us out, give us a review on, on iTunes or Google Play. Five stars is always the best. Hmm. If you do, let me know, and I'll send you a gift card for anything you want. <laughs> I think it's my turn to send one now, right? <laughs> I, I think so. So, yeah. So Matt will send, uh, and we are in Colorado, so if you want Matt to send you a goodie bag full of uh, things you can only buy here, that's fine, too. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> that would right. go over really well. Anyway, yeah. thanks, everyone, thanks, for guys. listening. Take All care. Right.